Hey, what's up, guys? This is Cordell. You're listening to Steeler Nation. Hello, Steeler Nation, and welcome to your Steeler Nation podcast, sponsored by Total Sports Enterprises. I'm your host, G Striker. Today, we recap the Pittsburgh Steelers season. How could they be so bad in the beginning and then become so good? Let's take a look at the this bipolar nine and eight team and dissect the season ending stats. So it's no surprise to anybody in Steeler Nation that the offense was absolutely rudderless, poor blocking, inconsistent quarterback play, uh, and a Pro Bowl running back that looked like he was regressing. Um, Chase Claypool ended up getting traded, and another weapon obviously was stripped from the offense. Uh, but then after the bye, Najee Harris comes back as a new man. They're healthy. He ditches that metal insole in his cleat. The run blocking dramatically improved, uh, and the execution started being crisp. Kenny Pickett did a much better job of controlling the turnovers, increasing scoring, as well as third down, um, third down conversions. So looking at the record, obviously we all know we were nine and eight, but we're going to use week nine as the buy for being the midway point, eight games, first half, nine games, second half record was two and six in the first half of the season, seven and seven and two on the back half of the season points per game on offense started off as only 15 points per game. Increase that to 20, almost 21 points, 20.8 points per game. That's a big increase. Uh, Yardage first half of the year, 299 yards per game under 300. There was only four games of those eight games where they were over 300 yards. After the second half of the season, 344 yards per game average. All nine games were played over 300 yards. Just if you pare it down to just the rushing stats, 95 yards average for the first half of the season, bulked up to 146 yards per game average just on the ground. So, and I only have one game below the first half average in the second half of the season. So one game below 95 yards rushing, all the rest of the yards, they're up over hundred. They were killing it. Kenny Pickett himself, he had a big transition. First half of the season, obviously only had two touchdowns throwing to eight interceptions. Of course, he had two running touchdowns as well. Second half of the season, much better controlling the football. Five touchdowns to only one interception, one running touchdown. So that's seven touchdowns to nine interceptions total. Pretty decent. If you factor in his rushing touchdowns, which is nine, he has 10 total touchdowns to nine interceptions. So he does have a plus in the touchdown to interception ratio. If you include his rushing touchdowns, Najee himself as well. First half of the season, only 361 yards and one touchdown. 112 yards receiving and two touchdowns catching. Second half of the season, 673 yards. That's how he got over 1,000. Six touchdowns running. One more um, touchdown receiving with 117 receiving yards, bringing his totals up to 1,034. Seven total touchdowns running. 229 receiving, three touchdowns for 10 total touchdowns, three receiving, seven rushing. 
Look at Warren himself too, the big backup. A little bit more consistency to his front and half and his back half, but 153 yards rushing, 88 yards receiving in the first half. Second half, 226 yards rushing with a touchdown and 126 yards receiving. So he ended up with 379 yards, 214 receiving, one touchdown on the season, getting an extra, just doing the quick math here, uh, 280 or 293 uh, yards total. And that's, or sorry, 593 yards total. That's an excellent value out of a backup running back when we were a team that normally ran the wheels off the the starter. So now we have a backup that's legit, taking some spells. Najee looked better at the end of the season than he did at the beginning. I was hoping we made the playoffs just to see these guys compete in the playoffs. But that's how it cookie crumbled, unfortunately, with the tie breaks. Couldn't beat anybody in the AFC um, East. And if we figured out a way to sweep the Ravens, we would have been in. Third down percentages. This is one of the biggest stats. Took this one from Alex Kazor over the depot. First half of the season, the Steelers were at 33.7 third down conversions. That's below the average of 39%. It's dismal. Second, and that was 27th in the league. Second half of the season, over 500. They were at 54.3% first in the league at converting first downs. Like I said, the league average being 39, just a hair under 40. Steelers are 15 points above that. That was a big change and a big turnaround for this team in the second half and a big reason why they started putting up some points. Because if you don't get those third down conversions, your drive stall, you never get the offense going. So let's look at the defensive side of the ball. Steelers lost its defensive player of the year in the opening game and lost them for half the season with TJ Watt, obviously. Couldn't stop the run, had trouble stopping teams from scoring late in games. Then with some personnel switches, getting TJ Watt back after the bye, getting uh, DeMonte KZ back after the bye from injured reserve, demoting Bush, getting Robinson in there playing, having Leal in this hybrid role, uh, increasing Spillane snaps. The defense started to not stop the run in the second half of the season. Scoring decreased. They started closing out games and they increased turnover rates skyrocketed. So looking at the defensive points per game, we are at we were allowing 24.6 points per game in the first half of the season to 16.5 points per game on average for the second half of the season. That's a big switch. So in the first half of the season, we were losing games on average. What's the scoring up here? Us scoring 15 points, other teams scoring 24. Second half of the season, we were scoring 21 points. Other teams are scoring 16. That was the big change. Absolutely the biggest change. Turnovers also uh, 14 in the first half to uh, turning the ball over to 10. And then um, I think it was 14 interceptions, 10 plus four. I don't know. Oh, I got you. That's, that's the season. So the first half of the season, we turned the ball over 14 times. Second half of the season, only turned the ball over 10 times for a plus four. So we had more turnovers in the first half of the season than we had takeaways. Second half of the season, we only turned the ball over five times. Five. Got 13 takeaways. We were a minus eight. Killed it. We ended up being minus four on the season, being minus anywhere for 
an NFL team usually means you're a winning team and making the playoffs. But we did not. We just lost out on tie breaks yet again. Yards for the defense in the first half of the season, 395 yards over eight games um, to 200 yards allowed in the second half of the season. So 395, which is nearly 400 yards, nearly cut that in half. Uh, Second half of the season, 200. So, oh, gotcha. So it was 395 yards, all eight games, right? 395 yards, all eight were over 200. Should be, say, over 300. I'm sorry. I had that written down incorrectly. I'm correcting it now. So all eight games that the defense played in the first half of the season, they allowed over 300 yards for every single game in those eight games. Second half of the season, the average now dropped from 395 down to 274. Big drop. We're talking about 126 yards about, um, or 121. Four games. They only allowed four games to teams to that got over 300 yards. One was that 400-yard game to Cincy. The other ones were barely over 300. None of them hit 310. 306, a 307, 305. Lower, lower scoring. The defense started killing it in the second half. And just rushing 118 yards per game in the first half of the season. We only had two games of the eight under 100 yards, allowing under 100 yards rushing. Second half of the season dropped down 104 yards per game rushing. So we had four of the nine remaining games. Steelers kept their opponents under 100 yards. So only having two opponents under 100 yards in the first half versus four in the second half when you're playing an extra game, that's an that's a significant change. Um, and they only allowed two games all year where a passer threw over 300 yards on us. Obviously, the Buffalo game, they hit us, and the first Joe Burrow game uh, against this week one. Um, oh, so um, that is the tale of the two halves. I mean, we saw it. We watched as fans. We're watching through the first half. We thought it was going to be, are we going to lose out and get a great draft pick? Or, you know, in the wildest of dreams, we, you know, we could still make the playoffs. We could still win 10 games, nine games. We'll see how it goes. And that's what ended up happening. Everybody was so ready to jump off the train that when we started winning in the second half, it was just so easy for Steeler Nation fandom just to kick back in and just take the ride, enjoy the wins, because that's the way we love going into Sundays. And then you can beat your head up, because I hear a lot of arguments like, well, we played easier opponents in the back half of the season than we did in the beginning of the season. That is definitely true. Absolutely true. But we were not executing as well in the first half of the season. So if we swapped it, and we were playing easier opponents in the first half of the season while we were trying to learn how to get better, we would have been better than two and six to start up on the back end of the season. When we've already hit our stride and starting to execute, would we have done better against those playoff teams? I think we would have probably would not have gone seven and two down the stretch, but a five and four could have been done with a four and four on the front end. Well, it looks like we're nine and eight again, (laughs) but you see how it can go. People can just argue the hypotheticals. It's just not the way the season was spread out. We had a, a, a gauntlet to go through in the first half of the season, and it hurt us. We were all talking about if we can go 500 before the bye, we're making the playoffs, and that would have happened this year. We would have been an 11-win team if we went 500 before the bye. So really just an interesting season, but 
I think this is one of Coach Tomlin's best seasons. I mean, this is a year where we the first season that Tomlin ever had to go into without Big Ben as his starting quarterback. Ever. Lost the defensive player of the year in week one. Ship is sinking. We hit the bye. Even Miles Jack said, when we're two and six, no alarm bells are going off in, in the building. None. Put your head down, work harder, get better every week. That is the mantra of Mike Tomlin's teams. Concentrate on the player, the opponent in front of you, take care of business, get better each week, improve. You, you've got to be in charge of yourself to improve yourself. And that's what happened. Big turnaround. Two and six, seven and two. I think this is worthy of Mike Tomlin being seen as a possible candidate for AP Coach of the Year. Steelers only have one coach that ever won AP Coach of the Year, and that was Bill Cowher back in one of his early years as a head coach. Chuck Knoll never won it, which is absolutely atrocious. He should have won at least one AP Coach of the Year for the dynasties that he had in the 70s. Turning around, he should have gotten it to 72. (laughs) for the Immaculate Reception game, getting the Steelers to the playoff, winning their first uh, playoff game, nearly upsetting the undefeated Dolphins that season. But that did not work out. He ended up getting some notoriety and some lower coaches pulls for the 89 season, which was a great job because we got blown out by a lot of teams that year, starting off 90 points against versus 10 points scored in the first two teams being your division rivals. Still found a way to make the playoffs that year and still beat Tennessee, the Tennessee Oilers, sorry, the Houston Oilers at the time uh, on a last second field goal. Next week, going to play Denver, playing a good game in Denver, nearly winning that one with Bubby Brister against John Elway. But Denver won that one and made it to the Super Bowl that year. So this is what we're looking at for this year's Tom, Mike Tomlin, I think, is a very strong candidate. Uh, I think Doug Peterson is also a strong candidate because both of them had that parallel. Both Jacksonville and Pittsburgh started two and six, except they both ended nine and eight, except Jaguars play in a dog crap division, won their division at nine and eight, made the playoffs. If they win a playoff game, he probably will get coach of the year. If he doesn't win a playoff game, they're still up there, but you can still talk about San Francisco and having to go with Brock Purdy. The um, Mr. Irrelevant, who's undefeated right now, I believe he's 5-0. and oh, So that's a pretty good coaching job, having to lose Garoppolo, switching over to a, a rookie that was one pick away from being undrafted rookie free agent. We drafted a Lodekin in the seventh round. We should have gotten Brock Purdy. Should have gotten Purdy. <laughs> but we didn't. We got ugly. We didn't get Purdy. We got ugly. Um, but that, I think, would be more of the teams, maybe even Minnesota, because Minnesota finally seems to be putting it together this season as well. Tons of comebacks this year for Cousins. Because Cousins was always a great statistical quarterback, just couldn't win games at the end. He's winning them this year. I think Minnesota's coach needs to be up there in the conversation as well. So, guys, you tell me who you think Coach of the Year should be. It's up to you. Now it's time for questions from Steeler Nation, sponsored by Manscaped. Go on out there and get the Platinum Package. Go out there and it comes with the lawnmower trimmer, the weed whacker ear, nose trimmer, ball deodorant, body wash, two-in-one shampoo and conditioner, boxer briefs, and a travel bag to put it all together. Manscaped. 
help you turn your player into an MVP. When I say MVP, yeah, you know me with my OPP MVP. Use promo code Steeler Nation, all capitals, all one word, Steeler Nation. 20% off your order and free shipping. Thank you, Manscaped, for making sure our sack doesn't get sacked. We appreciate it. So questions are coming from SteelerNation.com. I might take a little bit of a chat after the show here for a couple people who are watching this live from the YouTube channel. But these are the questions I got from SteelerNation.com. Blitz. Striker. I'm thinking Canada is saved for one more year. Where there'll be, will there be any coaching changes? Um, probably. And it's not the coach that you're thinking of. It might not be Matt Canada. I mean, Canada is being challenged. I don't know what the conversations are within the building. I don't know how Kenny Pickett actually feels about him and Tomlin, how the discussions are coming along. But he did improve. The Steelers' offense is starting to execute. The only thing down the stretch is executing in the red zone. That's the only difference between this being a 24-point offense to being a 28-point offense and, and getting some consistent 30-yard games, 30-point games, which we should have gotten against that Cleveland game except for turning the ball over on the one-yard line. That should have been an easy seven points, and that should have been a legit 30-point game for our offense. Unfortunately, we kept the game closer for longer than we needed to be, but ended up executing down the stretch and sealed that game away. But the coach that I think that is probably going to be the biggest coaching change for the Steelers this year, Brian Flores. He's interviewing, interviewed with Cleveland, interviewing with Arizona for their head coaching position. More head coaching positions may become available uh, here in these next couple of weeks, but he is going to be talked in all of a lot of the NFL circles for being a coach, a new coach to come in and replace and become the new head coach of their system. So that might be it. Danny Smith may be the sexy call as well with all the, uh, the way the coverage teams did not perform well this season, but He's been on the team for 13 years. He's loved within the organization. He works well with the coaching staff. They just need better performance. Don't know if it was personnel. Don't know if it's injuries, but it wasn't good enough and it needs to improve. Next question from Blitz. I think Deontay Johnson is a good receiver, good for a young quarterback, but I could see them trading him and doubling down on the running game. So I guess my question is, what do you think of the odds of trading DJR? Um, the, so the odds of trading DJ, I, I would personally say they would be pretty low. My reasoning be behind saying that they would be low is because we already traded a player that was a big part of our team and a big depth piece that was in on the starting three with Chase Claypool. And I know once we trade Chase Claypool for a second rounder, oh, that, that means. Deontay Johnson's got to be worth a first rounder. So we got to get first rounder for him, striker. Problem is then we have just gutted our wide receiver depth from our team. Going from, you know, Deontay Johnson and Claypool as our starting receivers last season, all of them under contract, and then having neither of them the next year, George Pickens is improving. He's got all the talent in the world. I still don't know if he can pull it off. I know he can't pull off the X position. He can't run those patterns as crisply as Deontay Johnson does. He's learning how to run, but he's got more size. He's got more speed. He's got more athleticism. He's an incredible Z. And having Deontay Johnson there not only helps out George Pickens to get open, 
but it also helps out our young franchise quarterback in Kenny Pickett. That's his safety valve. That is his number one target on the field. And all he has to do is improve his drop rate, especially at the end of the season. Because it was, at least it was a consistent drop rate up through about week 14. The last four games of the season, though, drop rate ticked up and it was, it's not sustainable. And he's done it for two seasons in a row. And I know that's frustrating, but he still gets open better than any other player in the league. He and Kenny need to just work in the offseason together to get that connection in sync so it is just thoughtless. And those guys will be an incredible tandem as well as Pickett to Pickens for, I think, for years to come. Um, Cooley man for your questions. First one, who is your pick to take it all this year? Um, obviously the teams in the NFC, we've got some good ones. I mean, Dallas is playing well. Philly's playing very well. San Francisco, Minnesota. I am going to go with the Eagles in the East getting back hurts. Hertz is going to be playing at a high level again. And I think when he's playing at a high level, no team can defend the Eagles offense. None. Um, the way he can drop balls and buckets, create and extend plays with his legs. It is just too difficult of a situation. If they are, if he is 100% healthy, I think for them coming through, I think Purdy is going to have an issue with one of these playoff teams. He's a rookie quarterback and they've been playing. I know a lot of divisional opponents. They've been doing well, but when, when it comes down to crunch time in the playoffs, it is tougher to win. You're going up against better defenses. I think he's going to fall. Dallas always seems to find a way to lose every year. I'm still not sold on Cousins. Cousins always tends to fi- have a game here or there where he just cannot get to the next round. Um, on the AFC side, obviously the big three in the AFC, the Bengals, the Buffalo Bills, and the Kansas City Chiefs. I think all three of those teams can beat anybody in the NFC. So if it comes down to Super Bowl with any of those teams, I'm taking AFC every time. My favorite out of all of them is the Buffalo Bills. I think they're the best combined team. I love Josh Allen and the way he can create plays. Uh, I mean, I know Mahomes can do that as well. Burrow did it to get them into the Super Bowl last year. I don't think this team is as good as last year's Super Bowl team for Cincinnati. So I think they are going to have a hiccup here down the stretch. And it's going to be probably KC and Buffalo playing on a neutral field with Buffalo advancing against the Eagles. And I think Buffalo would win it between those two teams. Um, Next question from Cooley. So do the Ravens move on from action Jackson this off season? And this is a great topic because I live in the Baltimore area and this is something that I just can't fathom. Um, You know, the fan base is souring on them. The team is non-committal to him, allowed him to play on a fifth year option. Uh, unfortunately, Lamar doesn't even have an agent, so he represented himself. Um, the ra- the agent would have told him to sit and have a hold in last year during preseason training camp, that kind of stuff, until they worked out a new contract going forward instead of having him play on that fifth-year option, which was well below, I think it was like 23.3, well below league average for a player that already won an MVP. So... Problem was, he did play for that $22.5 million. He got hurt again. Now the team is like, well, you get hurt every year. You get hurt every year. But 
he is the reason why your team wins. I mean, the Ravens may turn around and try to tag him. And I think as his inexperience and navigating tags, he might play under a tag instead of not signing the tender and holding out AK like Le'Veon Bell um, until he gets a multi-year deal. They can't trade him unless they sign the tender. Depends on which tender as well, which I think Ravens would probably be smart. Sign Lamar to a um, a movable tender as opposed to an exclusive tender, which is what we did with Bell. We shouldn't have. And I don't think that the Steelers will ever use an exclusive tag ever again. I think they will always make it able so that the agent can, can work out a trade. And we would have probably gotten a trade out of Le'Veon Bell. And that would have been great because a first round tender for a first round pick, two first round draft picks. That would conceivably really change the makeup of the Pittsburgh Steelers up through now. And we might have been more competitive earlier, had a couple better players. We never know. But that's not the way it worked out. We'll have to see how Lamar navigates free agency this year. But here is the success rate for the Ravens since Lamar Jackson has joined this team. Lamar Jackson is a winner. Say what you want about him running too much. Say what you want about him not being a thrower. Dude is 45 and 16 as a quarterback in the NFL in five years. 16 losses in five years. One season's worth of losses in five years. Eight and five this season. Two and two. Um, yeah, eight. So he's eight and five this season. So without Lamar this season, they were two and two with Huntley and Smith. For the entire record of the team, it looks like the entire team record is 53 and 29 with Lamar, without Lamar Jackson. This team is an 8 and 13 team. Only eight wins in five years that were not Lamar Jackson's win. And that takes most of those occurred during his rookie season because he only started six games that year. He was five and one down the stretch. That's Flacco's year. And they got to the playoffs. That was a Flacco year. Flacco got a majority of those eight years. So since he became the full-time starter, we're talking about only about three or four wins total without Lamar Jackson. So what are you going to have with a team if you decide not to tender Lamar Jackson? He holds out. It means the Ravens are going to be a non-competitive team on offense next year. If that happens, if he holds out, or if he gets traded, or he leaves, they cannot replace Lamar Jackson in one year. There are no quarterbacks available. They may draft another first rounder this year, we'll have to see, but really aren't many available options to plug and play a former MVP, and we never hear about that at all, a quarterback on their rookie contract being a league MVP. And not being signed to a multi-year contract. That is absolutely insane. I think this is one of those overthinking things that happen to organizations when they have a great head coach, but the head coach isn't winning in the playoffs, so we got to get rid of him. Happened to Marty Schottenheimer. Happened to Cower. Happened to um, Andy Reid in in, uh, Philadelphia. I mean, it's the same type of thinking. Like, well, if Lamar can't win the big game, he can't win the playoffs, can't stay healthy, might as well get rid of him. They're gonna, they might be sitting down there like the Cleveland Browns looking for a quarterback for a decade and wallowing in those low, low scores. 
placing third and fourth in our division for the next couple years. And I'd be happy about it. Don't get me wrong. But that's the way it looks to go. So, guys, that's all the time we have on the show. Go on over and check out our sponsors at tseshop.com for Total Sports Enterprises. Subscribe to their Twitter at Total Sports ENT. They're always giving away free stuff. Uh, sign up for our, to subscribe to our video vidcast, which comes out on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. over on YouTube. That's youtube.com slash Steeler Nation. Read our great Pittsburgh Steeler-focused articles at SteelerNation.com. Tweet us at SteelerNation. Instagram and Facebook at SteelerNation.com. Or follow the podcast on Twitter at underscore SN Podcast. Or follow your host, Steeler Nation Striker, on the Twitters, on the Tickety Talks, on the Grammys. SN Striker. Striker's always spelled with a Y. Why? Because I love doing it. Thanks for joining us for the Steeler Nation Podcast, sponsored by Total Sports Enterprises. I'm your host, G Striker. Rooting along with you as always. Go Steelers!